Turns out you don't need to wait an hour before you go swimming after lunch. And no, shaving your hair does not grow back thicker and darker. And no, cracking your knuckles does not cause arthritis. And breakfast actually is not the most important meal of the day. Welcome to Insert Human. This is a show that is not for everyone. It's for seekers, people like you, hopefully, who are searching for solutions to your problems, the world's problems, and everything in between. The conversations to come are going to show you how finding the truth of our humanity is the magic key to solving pretty much anything. Between my monologues, my dialogues with brilliant guests, and your good questions, you're going to learn how to insert human into everything, and in doing so, realize a better life and one day a better world. So why do we believe in myths? I've been into myths ever since I was a little kid. Greek myths. Greek mythology, to be exact. There was something about the magical ancient world of Hera and Zeus, Hades and Dionysus, Ares and Aphrodite, that really, really resonated with my eight-year-old self. I remember those tales and the tales of Ulysses, the stories of Helen of Troy, of Romulus and Remus, better than virtually every other tale I've ever been told. And that truth prompted me recently to ponder why do I, and why do humans in general, love myths so much? And why do we so readily believe them, even when our rational selves knows that Medusa really wasn't that ugly, and snakes really can't actually grow out of a gorgon's head? Fast forward to today, and modern myths abound. In fact, it appears as if our society is increasingly built on myths. And that fact is a paradox. Because in theory, as scientific reasoning and the capacity to separate fact from fiction has advanced over the decades and centuries, you would think the embrace of make-believe, of falsehoods, of mythology would recede, right? Well, oddly, the opposite appears to be true. Think of the range of myths that swirl around us, under us, over us, and maybe even in us. Beginning with my extreme favorite, conspiracy theory myths, and its current poster child, this crazy thing called QAnon. According to a recent survey done by the conservative American Enterprise Institute, check this out. 27% of white evangelicals believe QAnon is real. And specifically, they believe that former President Donald Trump and his stormtroopers are secretly battling a cabal of pedophile Democrats that are hell-bent on overthrowing America. Wow. And that 27% is followed by 18% of all white Catholics and 15% of white mainline Protestants. Wow. 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 I'm going to argue that the QAnon myth sits on top of the foundation mythology of American politics in general the grossly simplified and fancified belief that Democrats are all socialists heading towards communism and all Republicans are evil capitalists that only care about themselves. Sure, some of that is true, but the idea that the picture is that simple is, well, a myth. It also turns out that our political mythology is really great at spinning new myths, like the myth that massive election fraud occurred in the 2020 presidential election and the incumbent was robbed of his rightful second term. 
The myth of politics is a subset of our country's many myths of history. Most children in America grew up to believe that the Civil War fully emancipated the slaves and henceforth allowed all men and women to be treated equally. Well, not so much. And no, Columbus did not discover America. Witches were not burned in Salem, Massachusetts. Thomas Edison did not invent the light bulb. They are all myths. The myths of our country are joined by the propagated myths of our families and modern life. Turns out you don't need to wait an hour before you go swimming after lunch. And no, shaving your hair does not grow back thicker and darker. And no, cracking your knuckles does not cause arthritis. And breakfast actually is not the most important meal of the day. All myths that we perpetuate because it appears easier to do than to accept that they are fundamentally not true. So we have to ask, why is that? I think in part because we are raised to embrace and even rely on myths. It's called religion. And while I'm not making a statement here for or against religion, you have to agree that the construct of most religions is mythological. They are assemblies of individual myths that when you add them all together, appear to represent a collective answer to all of our most complicated questions while also giving some of us a level of comfort that everything will ultimately be all right. The myths of religion effectively represent what one academic who I cannot source for the life of me calls out as the four theories of myth. And the four are as follows. The rational myth, which is designed to help us understand the natural order and why bad things happen to good people. The functional myth, which seeks to teach us moral obligations and social norms, and perhaps to keep us in line, because gosh, we need to be kept in line. The structural myth, which exposes the uncomfortable truth that humans are both good and evil, and likely always will be. And the fourth myth, the psychological myth, the myths founded in humankind's greatest fears and worries, the same fears and worries that most religions tend to magically solve and dare I say, take advantage of. This fourth type of myth theory is where I tend to go for my explanation of why humans have always been so myth crazy and still are myth crazy, even when science has proven most myths dead wrong. My version of the psychological myth uses Maslow's hierarchy of need to explain our longstanding love affair with mythology. For those that don't know, Abraham Maslow was a psychologist from the 1950s who came up with a framework to explain most, if not all, human behavior. He called that framework the hierarchy of need, and his pitch was this. There are five fundamental levels of need, all arranged in a pyramid. The base level need is physiological, the need for shelter, for food, for water, and things like that. The second level of need is the need for safety. In modern day terms, I think of this as control. The third level of need is the need for belonging, for family, and for community. The fourth level is the need for self-esteem, and the fifth level is the need for self-actualization. If you apply the myth of religion to the five-need hierarchy and vice versa, you quickly see why we love our myths. God will provide. Check. God will protect you. Check. The church is your community. Check. I am a good person because I am God-fearing, and even if I fail every now and then, God will forgive me and forgive you. Check. And lastly, the ultimate self-actualization may be 
getting a ticket to heaven. Double check. It all suggests that myths give us comfort in every form. They create enemies that carry the blame, absolving us from the same. They offer simple answers to the complex and often unanswerable questions we have about living and the meaning of life. They make us feel better simply because we can use myths to park all our anxiety, all our worry, in a lovely little box called a myth. While myths are make-believe, they are also increasingly humankind's central belief system, allowing us to exist, to operate on a daily basis, believing we know when we actually don't know much at all. As the world gets more complex and interconnected, it's my belief that this kind of central belief system will prove more and more problematic. As more of us take actions and make decisions on the basis of fiction, not of fact. Greek mythology is a far cry from the modern mythologies of America today. Back then, a one-way trip to Hades was at stake. Today, I fear, it's our collective future. Thanks for listening today. If you're in search of more opportunities to realize positive change in your life or work, and you find what I have to say helpful, you can always subscribe to my show, check out one of my new salons that are weekly virtual gatherings of like-minded folks. You can read some of my writings or just listen to one of the talks that I've given around the world over the last couple of years. And you can do it all at chriscolbert.com. While you're there, make sure to sign up for my ongoing email updates. When you do, you'll receive a free copy of the first chapter of my about-to-be-published book, Technology is Dead. Again, it's all available at chriscolbert.com. Thanks again for listening today, and I look forward to connecting more in the days ahead.